Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks are flying. And when you enter your email, you'll be added to my mailing list as well, and you'll be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight, I'm really excited to have as my guest, Mel Mosley. Mel is a theater artist, musician, writer, storyteller, and teacher. She identifies as a bisexual, cisgendered, solo polyamorous woman. Welcome to the show, Mel. Thank you so much, Sumati. I am thrilled to be here. So glad to have you. Um, so, yeah, when I saw that you were doing this show about solo polyamory, I thought, wow, there's, that's a first. So why don't you start by um, letting our guests know um, why you identify as, solo po- solo polya- as a solo polyamorous and what does that mean to you? Um, well, so I um, was, like, like many people, was monogamous for a very long time and uh, I, I found that I cheated on every single partner that I had. And <laughs> when, I, when I discovered that um, uh, ethical non-monogamy was actually a thing, you could open up your relationships and do it ethically and, um, and transparently um, by reading books like The Ethical Slut and More Than Two and that kind of thing, I kind of started to change my um, relationship structure and moved into what really looked an awful lot like a swinging um, relationship, um, meaning that the partner that I was with at the time would only play together. And, you know, we had partners that we played with, but we really weren't, um, it was more about sex than it was about relationships. Right. And, um, then I just, that wasn't really feeding me in the way that I needed it to. Sex isn't the thing. It's more intimacy and relationships that Mm -hmm. feed me. And so that's where I moved into polyamory, um, and having multiple, intimate and many of them sexual um, partnerships. Um, I got kind of held up a little bit with polyamory um, in general because I got into a primary partnership. Mm-hmm. So meaning I had a partner that was um, uh, sort of could, could have veto power over other relationships that I had. And also that I had such a close um, connection to, to the point where it felt more like monogamy than it should to me. Um, primary right. partnership and monogamy felt like the same. And so then I decided I was just going to move into on my own solo polyamory where I'm really, I'm my own primary partner, I guess I could say. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm in charge of the relationships that I have and um, the way that each of those relationships work. Um, all of the relationships that I have are very different, um, mm-hmm. but there's no one who's calling the shots for me. And so Mm -hmm. that's how I look at solo polyamory. All of my relationships are equally important, but are very different. So they're not equal, Mm -hmm. but they're equally important to me. Mm -hmm. And does the solo poly, solo polyay always mean, I I know when it comes to non-monogamy, 
um, I always say that, you know, when we step outside the dominant paradigm of monogamy, the sky's the limit, we get to define it, and everyone does it their own unique way. So I know that not, not everybody does it all the same way, but I did go to a solo, solo polyamory conference once, and it seemed like a common theme was that solo polyamory people don't want to live with anybody. Is that true for you? No. And, and I've heard that, too, that a lot of solo poly people are um, – that kind of autonomy is really important to them. Um, I actually mm-hmm. live with my triad. So I have a mm-hmm. man and a woman that I live with, but I have mm-hmm. my own room. I have my own space uh-huh. in that uh-huh. house. Um, so it's not that I live alone. I'm also, I'm such an extrovert. I could never possibly live alone and be happy. So uh-huh. that I, I just mm-hmm. need to be surrounded by people. And so there's that. Um, so I guess I could say I do have nesting partners, but um, mm-hmm. it's very different from, being in a primary relationship because I've got my own space, I've got my own um, uh, place in the house and I can come and go as I please. And I don't, we don't really check in unless we're checking in, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so um, tell me more about your triad. Are they, were they a prior couple? Did you all meet at the same time or how does that function? They were a couple before I, I had met them individually, um, but they mm-hmm. were a couple before the three of us got together mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I had done a show with the woman, um, and I have consent to use their names, so I will, um, Charity, uh, and I did a show together in Portland, uh, it was, um, called Sex We Can, and it was sort of a bunch of different monologues, um, through Dance Naked Productions in Portland, and so we met there in that show, and kind of clicked there, and then randomly, I met Cliff, um, my other partner in the triad, through um, the, I, I was out doing like salsa dance one night with a, an OK Cupid date that I was with, and uh-huh. um, the date that I was with was a horrible dancer, and so we were just <laughs> not getting along. We weren't clicking, and so I saw Cliff, and he was dancing with this other woman, and I was like, "Can you show me how to salsa?" And he was like, "Sure." And so we got up and we started dancing, and I mean, I, I had no idea that he had any connection to charity or any of that. Um, but then saw the two of them at another venue um, a few months later, and we just got to chatting, and then they asked me out on a date to over to their house, and I went over, and it was almost from then on, we were pretty much inseparable. Wow. That's awesome. And then do you all date other people outside of your triad as well? Obviously, you were, yeah. well, that was before you met him, but now do you? <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, we all date other people outside of the triad. Um, we also have our own individual. Like, I've got my individual relationship with Charity that has nothing to do with Cliff. They oh. have their relationship, which is a longer-term relationship. Cliff and I have a relationship that is our own relationship that has nothing to do with Charity. And then we have our relationships outside. Um, and then the three of us have a few um, people that we date from time to time um, as a triad. Cool. That's awesome. And so tell me more about how that feeds you um, and how that meets your needs better than monogamy. What, what do you love about being in a triad like that? Oh, well, first of all, I'm bisexual. So mm-hmm. um, just being with a man or just being with a woman for me is not going to be enough. So mm-hmm. I would have to have an open relationship regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is lovely to be able to be in a situation where, um, not only am I part of a triad, but I live with a man and a woman. And so mm-hmm. I can have 
that male and female energy around me all the time, which is mm-hmm. amazing. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what, what is, was there, how does this, well, just how does it compare to the challenges you had in monogamy? How does it feed you in, in a new way? Yeah. Right. Um, so, well, the challenges that I had with monogamy were, were pretty clear because I was never, I was never, um, I was cheating all the time. I was going behind mm-hmm. their backs and doing things which made me feel like a liar and horrible. And also, of course, mm-hmm. if you've got that going on in a relationship, you're disconnected from the person mm-hmm. that you're with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't like feeling like that. I didn't like doing that. And I, I felt compelled to do it because mm-hmm. of my sexuality. And, and just because that's, I think that I truly believe that people are on a spectrum um, the same way that you would be on a spectrum between being straight and gay. There was a spectrum between being monogamous and polyamorous. And so mm-hmm. I'm somewhere on the polyamorous end of that. And so mm-hmm. I just feel way more myself when I have multiple partners that are my intimate partners that I reach out to on a regular basis and mm-hmm. that are, you know, part of my life. And I'm not relying on one person to fulfill so many different things that are different aspects of who I am that no one person could mm-hmm. ever actually do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the challenges that you have in your triad and, you know, do does your try do the other two people experience jealousy when you date someone outside that group, or how does that function? I I I know that jealousy is a thing, and jealousy is a, is a thing for everybody. It's a thing for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you get jealous, and you need to kind of think about okay, what is it that's sparking this jealousy in me, and why? Um, mm-hmm. And recognizing that jealousy is really about you, and so mm-hmm. it's you know, maybe I'm feeling jealous because Cliff is going out with this younger, hot girl, and I'm feeling mm-hmm. I'm 55, and maybe I'm not enough, <laughs> and, you know, whatever, and so I'm jealous. But I can never be that person, number one, and I can never have the relationship that Cliff has with her, and Cliff mm-hmm. still loves me. Cliff mm-hmm. wants what he gets from me. You know, we have a relationship mm-hmm. that is its own unique thing that nobody can have. And mm-hmm. so I have to trust in those particular instances and they have to trust in the, in the particular instances when I'm dating outside that the, the center of our relationship is super solid and is, is what, what feeds us all. And that's mm-hmm. also true for me with any of my other, my, my other main outside partners. I mean, you know, still I will occasionally go on a date with someone that's very different from the, um, the intimate relationships that I have, the people that I call partner are different mm-hmm. from people mm-hmm. that I just go out on a date with. Right. And do you find, you know, I often find that the more I can set my partner free to explore their erotic interests and their heart interests and their love interests, the more they have available to love me, if they're truly polyamorous, if they're really just a poser and they meet somebody new and they're really kind of basically oriented as a monogamous person, you know, they may run off with someone else, but if I, if I'm dating people who are clearly polyamorous and I find that the more I can set them free, the more they love me and want to be with me. Do you find that to be true too? 100%. I mean, that I, I couldn't <laughs> have said it better. Yes, absolutely. It, um, because you, you've got different, you know, if you, if, 
for example, I I am not I'm not kinky. I don't like pain, for example. Um, <laughs> but I have partners who are in the in the kink um, realm, and that's important to them. Well, they can't have that from me. They get a different thing mm-hmm. from me, and. Mm-hmm. I want them to go out and explore what they want to do that way without me having to do that. Cause I don't want to, mm-hmm. so, right. you know, that just makes that possible. And then they come back to me with fulfilled in a way that they need to be fulfilled and happy to, you know, have the trust from me that I trust them that they're, they're going to be back and they do come back and our, our relationship builds from there. I, I have to tell you, I, the relationships that I have now are, are, so much more based on honesty and connection and trust. I, I don't, with any of my current partners, I don't feel like I'm going to be abandoned. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have that security and freedom too. It sounds like a great arrangement. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it is. At least it works for me. And I don't think that it works for everyone. And I also don't think, you know, sometimes when we talk about this stuff, People think, oh, polyamorous people, they feel like they're so evolved and whatever. I don't feel like that at all. I feel like mm-hmm. um, people, are monog- people who are monogamous should be monogamous, and that totally works for them. The fact mm-hmm. is our culture has trained us to be monogamous and has mm-hmm. shamed people who are not monogamous, um, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that monogamy isn't valid. That just, mm-hmm. In my mind, that means that you need to have the opportunity to choose monogamy mm-hmm or to choose something alternative. Mm -hmm. And I've selected something alternative because I know that it works for me. And I know that since I've gotten into this in the past, like now it's nearly nine years that I've been in this non-monogamous situation. I know for a fact that I am way more myself than I ever Mm -hmm. was when I was in monogamous relationships. Mm -hmm. Right. And you were saying earlier about you'd been in a primary partnership and I want to um, dig into that a little deeper for a minute. Um, personally, I also am doing solo polyamory right now, and I don't know if I'll fall in love in the future and say, "Oh, you're my primary." But for right now, it feels like the more I, the less, the, the longer I am away from the primary partnership model, the more I see that that model is kind of a remnant of monogamy it's like I feel like I was clinging to some kind of false security or having some identity from another person and for me it felt really healthy to stop that pattern of getting my identity from another person and like you said kind of being my own primary partner Um, so I I don't want to judge other people especially when people are new to poly or they're in a long-term relationship that they're opening for the first time you know to honor their primary partnership their marriage their the length of their relationship is important. So it's, it's important not to judge anyone else while we're at the same time having our own evolution and seeing what works for us. But I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about that primary partnership model and how you feel that, um, you know, that it may be just kind of leftover monogamy programming. That is what it feels like to me. It's leftover monogamy programming that was what I when I was saying you know primary was really like uh, linked in my brain to monogamy Mm -hmm. Um, yeah I think that it is leftover programming Um, and I also have to say uh, you know I I know that a lot of people I know many people who are in polyamorous relationships and that then 
um, find a partner that they choose to at some point say, okay, let's go through a little monogamous phase together for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mm-hmm. great too. Um, I have to say that I am, the partners that I have, I am in love with. So it's not like, mm-hmm. I mean, the love is there in love nest is there. And in mm-hmm. some instances, love on a much deeper level is there, you mm-hmm. know, so NRE new relationship energy certainly happens. Um, with early on relationships and that feels like love. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's that deeper love that you get with the longer um, term relationships or the ones that have, you know, pushed through and sustained some uh, time or challenges or whatever together. So um, I, I, I think for me, I don't, I don't know that I'm ever, who said, who knows? I mean, I, I couldn't, I would not tell you, you know, Mel 10 years ago would not say, well, where you're going to be in 10 years is living with a triad and having relationships <laughs> with these other people and touring a show all about you know, solo polyamory. That would never uh-huh. happen. So I can't say uh-huh. right now what, you know, future Mel in 10 years is going to be looking back and saying to me, but, um, uh-huh. but right now it just feels like this, this track is the right track. And, and I take, you know, every time that I'm confronted with a decision or a choice um, to, you know, go one direction or another, I spend some time making uh, with myself going, okay, how, what, how does this feel? How does that feel? Which one do I really want to take? And then, you know, stepping forward with what feels right, um, mm-hmm. trying to uh, integrate all the voices in my head that are saying, oh, that's crazy, you're never going to make money doing this and that's horrible to the ones that are like, this is what you really love. So you should be doing it to, um, you know, uh, whatever. And all of trying to consolidate all of those voices into one thing to make the next decision that may hopefully be the right decision moving forward. And it does feel, Mm -hmm. especially over the last two years that that has been working really well for me. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your transparency around your, your own home life and your relationships. Um, I think it's really awesome for us to role model for that for other people and to really break the stereotype that polyamory is just a way for men to screw around. So I love interviewing women. Um, Most of my guests have been women. And so I love really kind of like breaking that stereotype that, um, that polyamory is just as much for women as men and non-binary people as well. And, you know, the solo polyamory conference I went to was predominantly um, queer millennial women putting it on. So that was a real, um, you know, myth buster to see this, this whole group of queer women that were finding solo polyamory was a fit for them. It's really interesting. Wow, that is awesome. Yeah. Excuse thank me. You Sorry, I just had a sneeze coming. <laughs> uh, no problem. No, that's amazing. So, well, and I have to go. Go ahead. Oh, so um, I just to kind of uh, piggyback on what you were just saying. Um, just today, I got a text from a woman, a, a young woman, who saw my show in Boulder at the Boulder International Fringe Festival, where I'm performing this week, and she texted me and said, um, "I am a bisexual." Um, woman, I'm just about to start college, and you really validated my um, feeling around monogamous and monogamish relationships, and thank you for doing that. Mm. And boy, I, oh, I mean, that just like, I was like, whoa, this is exactly why I'm doing this, because 
-hmm. I do want to be like upfront and honest about my sexuality, what I'm doing and why I'm doing it so that people younger than me, people older than me can see that this stuff is possible and you don't have to buy into the party line around how relationships should quote unquote work. We are all our own autonomous human beings and we get our choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always say there's no relationship police coming to your door, you know, to check to see if you're doing it right. <laughs> like we get we get to design it however we want. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so I wanted you to be on my show because I was so excited to to learn about your show and um, want to hear more about it. Um, you've been touring your show called Sexology the Musical. Is that the show? That's right. Sexology or, colon okay, the so, musical exclamation point. Yep. Okay, so that's the name of the show. Okay, so tell us how that show came to be. Um, it sort of grew out of, I had been doing some storytelling um, uh, at things like the Moth Story Slam and Mortified and um, little, like, you know, open mic kind of things. And also I'm a musician. And so I had been reading, writing songs about this stuff for a long time. And then um, a friend of mine, um, Eleanor O'Brien is her name. She runs uh, Dance Naked Productions in Portland. And she um, had this uh, um, festival uh, for sex positive theater called um, Come Inside, the Come Inside Festival. And it happens in October. (laughs) And, um, he and I talked and I was like, I would really like to workshop a piece called Sexology the Musical that sort of takes all of these things and puts it into one little compact um, theater piece that maybe uh, I'm not quite sure what it would look like, but maybe I could tour it. I don't know. And she was completely encouraging and uh, helped me kind of put some of the pieces together. And I worked with some other folks. Um, in Portland, uh, friends of mine, uh, Leah Carey, um, uh, Tony Sana, I mean, tons of different people in the Portland area that uh, Portlanders will know, um, who mm-hmm. uh, helped me kind of hone it. And then I performed it at the Come Inside Festival, and some people said to me, you need to tour the Fringe Circuit, just try it. And so I just started to apply to a bunch of different Fringe festivals all over the country, and I got into... Um, six of them this year and so I've been touring since March um, going from Portland Oregon to Portland Maine (laughs) excellent and um, what are you hoping that your show inspires in people I mean you gave an example of the young woman in Boulder but um, tell us in a little bit more detail what your your hopes are I really hope it inspires people to have conversations about Mm -hmm. what relationships, what honestly you want in your, and and also to think about it, right? What do you really want out of your relationships? And I hope it inspires conversations between people to say, wow, you know, um, I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about opening up our relationship. What do you think about that? And doing it in in such a way that it doesn't feel threatening. Um, Or, you know, I don't, a conversation could be, wow, I, I think that's great for her, but I don't understand that for me or, you know, whatever. But I just hope it inspires conversations around relationships, what love means, what family means, um, you know, how we, uh, as, as the bonobos that we are on the planet, 
How do we uh, mm-hmm. connect with each other? And how do we, how do we, how do we form our tribes and our families and our groups? So mm-hmm. I just want to, and I, the other thing that I would like it to do is to, is to show people that it's okay to be vulnerable. That's mm-hmm. really important to me. Um, my show, I get a lot of input around it about how vulnerable it is. The fact that I'm willing to talk so honestly about, um, my relationship structure, my sexual abuse, um, how I've come through that, um, how I look at, you know, life in general now. Um, I, I think when people hear other people telling those stories, they can go, oh, yeah, I can do that too. It's okay to be vulnerable. And it's okay mm-hmm. to cry in front of mm-hmm. people. And that, that's, not a, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a connecting thing. That brings us mm-hmm. together. That that lets us say, I see you, and I feel you, and I want to connect with you. Mm-hmm. Do you express uh, that kind of deep vulnerability in your show? I mean, I know any kind of one-woman show must be really vulnerable, but are there points where you really drop in? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, these are this is all personal storytelling, so and it's all true. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I definitely um, sink into that space, and and have and and also you know I, I was talking earlier about the fact that I talk about my sexual abuse. Um, when I talk about my sexual abuse, it's not that I sink into my sexual abuse and I relive whatever is going on there because that's not me now. That is stuff that I have dealt mm-hmm. with, but it's mm-hmm. also stuff that informs what I'm doing now. And so, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've dealt with it, of course, through therapy and through time and through telling the story and, you know, through other people confirming the story and listening and being there and, you know, many other things. But um, so it's not sinking in in that way. It's not trying to, now I must show you what it was like, when it, you know, it's not that at all. But it's, right, right. I think in the sense of I'm telling you now what this story means to me. And mm-hmm. I do you know, sing songs that are pretty intense and were written during some really intense, heart-wrenching times. So those mm-hmm. music for me really um, hits on, on those uh, emotional levels really easily. You know, it's very easy to, mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're listening to music or playing music, to get into those spaces where you were at when you wrote that thing or heard that thing for the first time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is all your original music in the the show. Yep, yep. Stuff that I've uh-huh. written since I was four, from the time I was fourteen years old until two years ago. Mhm. Wow. So if I give you like a one minute warning, can you think about maybe a short chorus or a verse that you'd be willing to share with us? <laughs> ah, I wish I had my guitar with me, but I will still. Yeah, I can do the. Um, okay. I can, okay, I'll give you about, I can do it now. I'll give you, you a minute. I'll give you a minute while I um, welcome people who maybe have joined us late. So if you're just ah, okay. joining us, you're you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. We're speaking with Mel Mosley, who has a one-woman show that's touring the country from let's see, Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine. And um, her show is called Sexology the Musical. She identifies as a bisexual, solo polyamorous, cisgendered woman. And I'm really pleased to be learning more about her and her show. And 
I've asked her to um, maybe sing one of her original little, little piece of one of her original songs for us right now. So take it away when you're ready, Mel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is this is the chorus. Uh, I, so I wrote an anthem to non-monogamy um, just right after I had my very first experience of conversion. Um, and if that means needs a definition, I'll define it right now. So it's basically like um, it's yeah the antonym of jealousy. It's um, when you see your partner um, experiencing love or connection with another person and you feel really um, deep joy for them uh, when they're mm-hmm. experiencing that and it has nothing to do with you. And I have mm-hmm. had that experience numerous times. But the first time mm-hmm. I experienced it, um, I wrote an anthem to uh, non-monogamy and the chorus and I wish I had my guitar so I could play it while I'm doing it, but I'll just sing it for you. And it's a little bit of an okay. earworm. Um, and it's also in my show. It's um, we do it as a sing along. So, okay. And the chorus goes like this. Monogamous, monogamish, polyamorous, swinger, fuck buddy, other. And that's just the chorus. If you want me to sing some verses, <laughs> I can. Yeah. Sing one verse for us. Okay, so first verse is oh no, I'll do I'll do a middle verse. Um when I explored that I was on an online dating trampoline, sex is sometimes more fun than partnering. So many people and so much more me. Relationship anarchy. <laughs> monogamous, monogamous. Polyamorous, swinger, fuck buddy, other. Yes. If you want to come see the show, nice. the rest of the verses from the very awesome. <laughs> Yay, I'm clapping over here. That was so great. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much. So if you have any questions for Mel, feel free to call in. The call-in number is area code 657-383-1132. Six five seven three eight three eleven thirty two, and you'll be put on hold, and we'll get to your call when we have a break in our conversation. So feel free to call in any time in the next fifteen minutes or so. Um, okay, so other than like talking about polyamory and non-monogamy, your title of your show is sexology, which is a broader topic. So uh, you, you mentioned a little bit about your background of abuse, but what other um, areas of sexology do you explore in your show? Um, so uh, the definition of sexology that I use is, it is um, it's, it's, um, it's about human interests and behaviors in regards to sexuality. So that's what sexuality is defined as. And mm-hmm. so um, uh, at the beginning of my show, I have three different characters that I play. I play myself. So Mel during her thing, I play the dramaturg of my show. Um, uh, she's British and she comments on things. And then I play, I also have another character called footnote and he <laughs> is from Chicago and he kind of also comments on, um, what I'm doing. And, uh, uh, he and Mel, he's, he's kind of like Mel's, um, voice in the back of her head, um, that says, Oh, you're doing the right thing or you're doing the wrong thing. And dramaturg mm-hmm. kind of just defines from a theatrical perspective, what's going on on stage. If that makes sense mm-hmm. at all. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh, now I've lost your question. I was headed there. 
Can oh, you tell me again? Oh, what are some of the other cho- the other cho- subtopics of sex? Oh, subtopics subtopics in terms of sexology. So um, I talked through uh, my first sexual encounter um, as a teen, which was with a boy, and then the second one, which was with a girl. Uh-huh. And then uh, the fact that I, every time that someone broke up with me, I would write a song. <laughs> and that, yeah, and it started from the time I was 14 years old. And it still happens. Like, if I am in a relationship with someone and they break up with me, I write a song for them. Or if I run into some weird situation, I will be writing a song about um, that. So I talk about that. Um, I talk about being bisexual and how how that affected me. Um, uh, I talk about, I, I, I describe in pretty great detail um, what uh, some sexual encounters that I've had with my triad. Um, I talk about sexual healing and an experience that I had with um, sexual healing that was related to uh, the fact that I was anally raped. Um, when I was 32, I was anally raped by a boyfriend and then um, Charity and Cliff, my triad, uh, asked if I wanted sexual healing around that. Mm-hmm. And I, I did not know sexual healing was a thing, uh, but mm-hmm. I was like, sure. And mm-hmm. so they, they did that with me. And uh, that is one thing that actually has uh, cleared a lot of my, um, the physical trauma that I've experienced since I was 32 from that. Mm. So... Yeah, hard to describe, but uh, definitely, like, so I talk about sexual healing in that way and describe exactly how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so those are some of the things. I don't get naked, so there's, and there's no live uh-huh. sex on stage. That doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so um, as far as, like, when you're, so first of all, tell us, what are some of the next cities you're going to be in? And then I'm kind of curious if you've had some interesting stories, like some reaction from your audience or stories people have told you when you're in the different cities. Yeah, sure. So my next stop, so I have two more shows here in uh, the Boulder area. Um, uh, This upcoming Thursday, I've got a show at 8.15 and then, um, Saturday at 5.15, and then I've got a little bit of time off, but I'll be kind of hanging out in the between Boulder and the Chicago area. Um, I have a travel van that I um, travel around with while I'm doing my shows, um, mm-hmm. so I'll, I might be camping or I might be hanging out with friends. I don't know. Um, the next uh, festival that I'm going to is the Elgin Fringe Festival, which is about an hour outside of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And that is September 13th through 15th. So I'll be doing some shows then. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then that is my very last one of this summer for, this, for the six mm-hmm. um, Fringe Festival tours that I've done so far. From there, I'll mm-hmm. be headed. And actually, my uh, partners, Charity and Cliff, will be meeting me while I'm in Chicago so that we can travel back together. Um, nice. So we'll be headed back to Portland. Um, and then I'm looking, hoping to... Um, book a few shows in Portland once I get back. Now that the show's been revised a little bit more, um, people have seen mm-hmm. it uh, a few times there. But this is—it's it, really evolved over time. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's. Have you been Portland. to the Bay Area yet with it? 
I have not, but I met a woman. Well, I met several people from the Bay Area through the Fringe um, circuit. I met the woman um, who started uh, the the San Francisco Fringe Festival. And so mm-hmm. she and I have been talking, and I uh, met another guy uh, who is also um, from the Bay Area who does um, fringe festivals. Not about neither of these guys are doing things around um, sex positivity or anything, but it's just fringe festivals, and they have connections to spaces. So I am um, hoping, you know, we're we're connecting a lot, and so I'm hoping that eventually I can get down there. But that hasn't happened yet. I'm actually cool. from Palo Alto, well, not from Palo Alto, but I lived in Palo Alto most of my life growing up. So, mm-hmm. okay. uh, yes, yeah, so it would be great to get down there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then tell me some of the stories that you've heard along the way. Oh, so many stories. Um, uh-huh. uh, some of my favorites, oh, I'll tell you a few of my favorites. One, um, I was doing my very first fringe um, festival that I went to was in uh, Fresno, California. It was called the Rogue Fringe Festival. And I performed my show, and then right after my show, these three these three um, young people, I mean, early 20s, came up to me. It was a, a, and introduced themselves, a trans man and two cis women, and they said, we had no idea that other people were doing triads. Wow. Like, they lived together, they were in a triad together, and hadn't actually met anyone that was in a relationship structure like they were in. Wow. And they spent the rest of the festival, like, being my roadies and helping me, like, <laughs> load in all my gear. I, it was just, and they were, like, I, they, I had to give autographs to them, me, that's Aww. crazy. But, <laughs> I mean, it was just it's so sweet and and just and that was like just like the woman that I was talking about earlier who just said, "Hey, you validated something for me." That mm-hmm. that was really amazing. Mm, beautiful. Um, I, yeah, and I've had numerous people over the age of sixty, well into their seventies, probably some of them, couples come up to me and say, "Wow, I." That's wild. I had no idea that that was even possible or a thing. And mm. um, thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for being vulnerable. Mm. When I did the um, Dallas Solo Festival um, this year, which is a, a, a solo festival, um, the Fringe Theater Solo Festival um, in Dallas, uh, there was a couple who are, they, they regularly buy um, tickets to all of the solo festival shows for the Dallas Solo Fest. Mm-hmm. And they just go see everything. doesn't matter what, they just go see it. And they saw my show. These were, this, this couple is in their mid-70s. They've been married, late 70s. They've been married for 60 years. Mm-hmm. So they came in. They saw my show. I saw them sitting there. And they, I mean, they were looking very conservative as I am seeing them. And um, I'm like, wow, this is going to be really interesting. And so I do my show. They leave. And what I hear from the box office is they are raving about the show, um, and, you know, walking away from it, the next day, I'm at a different fringe. I, I go and see the shows, too. So I'm sitting right next to the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and she comes, she's like, leans over to me, and she's like, we saw your show. It was so good. I, we mm. have been married for 60 years. I would never do anything like that. But I really <laughs> appreciate you sharing your story. And then turns out, like, 
she's from she was from Georgia. I I'm from Atlanta. Like my family is southern. So we have all these these connections around all of that and and the fact that she could just see me and yeah. see that that's okay is uh-huh. to me that just like cracks people's brains open a little bit. Yeah. It's like yeah. when you it's it's like when you're in a situation where like let's say you're in a situation where you feel very homophobic and then all of a uh-huh. sudden you have a family member, a daughter, let's say, who is gay. Mm-hmm. You love your daughter. So how are you mm-hmm. going to reconcile that? Mm-hmm. And then how are you going to reconcile that with everybody else that you see? Mm-hmm. So if I can be a piece of someone seeing someone who is friendly and uh, clearly loving and um, open but different and you can like me, can't that just push the push your thoughts into the fact that it's okay to be polyamorous? It's not scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. Well, I, I it's think not... people's fear often comes from um, feeling threatened. So, like, a woman might feel like if a polyamorous woman gets near her man, he's going to, you know, just he can't control himself. They'll just start having sex right there in front of them. <laughs> there's, there's, like, this... <laughs> <laughs> there's like a fear that and I'm sure it's similar to when you know the gay movement was happening where people automatically over sexualized gay people like if you're gay that means you're just having sex all the time and so there's kind of that that um, myth about polyamorous people too that we can't control our sexuality we must be nymphomaniacs um, we're going to do something inappropriate because we're polyamorous so I think that's where the fear comes is that people are threatened by uh, kind of us knowing who we are, know, like being upfront and conscious about our choices in the realm of relationships and sexuality. And so many people haven't explored that and aren't willing to explore that. It's just too scary because then you have to look at all those tender places that you talk about in your show, like the abuse and um, the date rapes and all those kinds of things. And it's just a big topic for people. It's a lot for them to swallow. Absolutely. Yes. I mean that. I, yeah. And boy, I wish everybody that saw me wanted to fuck me, but they don't. Um, <laughs> and, and in fact, um, yeah, that's such a small part of uh, what polyamory is. Like the sexies is such a small part. So much of it mm-hmm. is about personal connection and supporting each other and hearing each other and learning about people and, and growing like personal growth is such mm-hmm. a huge part of it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Polyamory Weekly, um, Cunning Meeks, uh, podcast, um, uh, her tagline is, it's, it's not all about the sex. And she's right. right. That's like 100% true. It's not. And most of it is not. Right. So can you share with us, a, like, a challenge that you've had in your past as you were learning how to live this lifestyle and how you overcame it, what you learned from it. One or two examples of that. Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind is um, when I was with my primary partner um, uh, in, in my, and I actually talked about him in my show and I call him Martin because I do not have his consent to use his name. So uh, mm-hmm. Martin and I were in a primary relationship. Um, a friend of mine uh, came to visit from New York and um, he, and we kind of got into a threesome together. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we were, it wasn't really polyamorous cause you know, Martin and I were in the swinging thing and it was more about sex, but he fell head over heels in love with her. Mm. And it was very obvious by the way that I was being kind of pushed out of situations. They would go off together and he wouldn't contact me when he was home. He was always on the phone with her, you know, mm. clearly this, um, primary thing had gone. And um, the shake out of that was that he left with mm. her and the mm. two of them, you know, started their primary relationship together and I was left alone. And mm. um, initially I was so freaking pissed about it. And I was like, mm-hmm. how the heck can he do that? How can he leave me in that way? Cause we had this primary relationship. Um, but then the more that I really thought about it and, um, you know, looked at what was going on with me, I was really jealous of her. her. She was younger mm-hmm. than me by a lot. Um, she was this, like, I, I, you know, she was a good friend of mine, and, that, and she was awesome, and so, of course, I loved her. She was amazing. Of course, he should love her. She's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. But I was really, really jealous of that situation, and I, I was certainly um, a contributor in pushing him away from me, too. Mm-hmm. And I had to spend some time thinking through, you know, what I was doing and why. Why couldn't I let him have a connection with her, too? Mm-hmm. Um, it was about my jealousy in that mm-hmm. instance. And so I had to kind of rethink and reform that for me. And the good thing about that is that that particular instance right there was the one that led me to, okay, primary partnership is not going to be the thing for me. It has mm-hmm. to be solo polyamory because I need to – that needs to be the way that I operate if I'm going to be in polyamorous relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's probably right. the biggest one that I can think of, yeah. Wow, thank you. And I'm sure, you know, you have some challenges come up in your triad where you're all living together. Hopefully they're minor, but is there anything that you can share with us about what you've learned uh, from a bump in the road you've had there? You know, the thing about my triad that's really interesting, so we were interviewed for a, uh, a BBC documentary that they were doing about polyamory, and they were focusing on Portland because Portland seems to be one of the leaders in polyamory for some reason, mm-hmm. um, probably because um, uh, Sex Positive Portland was founded there and it grew out of, and Sex Positive World grew out of there. Um, but in any case, we're kind of a hub of polyamory. It's odd not to, mm-hmm. you know, you can easily meet someone who's polyamorous in Portland. So we were interviewed um, along with several other um, triads in the Portland area about polyamory. And we were interviewed as a group and we were interviewed individually and, you know, we gave our answers and this kind of thing. And um, we did not, we appeared very little in the full on, um, documentary, and as we were looking at it, watching this documentary, which I'm not going to name, but you can probably look it up if you look up a documentary for polyamory. Um, but in any case, they uh, every single couple that was in a triad in this uh, poly documentary were in conflict. They were there was jealousy going on. Um, clearly, someone was on the outs and not really actually welcome into the triad. Whatever, there was conflict in every single one of them. And in ours, mm-hmm. there just wasn't. I mean, we, mm. when we have issues, we do. It's not that, like we don't have issues. We have issues. Trust me. We have problems that we need to talk through. And mm-hmm. we sit down and talk through them. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just 
two people that need to talk through things. Sometimes it's three of us that need to talk through things. Sometimes the third is the one who says, yeah, just got to let you know that's actually not how I see it. So Mm -hmm. can we, you know, so we, we, I think do a very good job of talking through that stuff, but television wants us to look at, Oh, here's the horrible, terrible things about polyamory Mm -hmm. and jealousy and what Mm -hmm. comes up. And Mm -hmm. um, when, when they see a group that's actually functioning, even through the troubles, they don't want to look at that. So and they I ended do, up not putting you in the final version. They didn't have very many minutes for you in the final version because you didn't have that conflict that people like to watch on TV. Exactly. That's all we could think of because they spent two full <laughs> days with us and they went to one of our events. I mean, you know, I can't imagine wow. why else. Wow. Yeah. So do you have any kind of regular check-in structure you know, ritual kind of set up, or do you just say, hey, I, I need to chat with you when something comes up? Um, when I'm away, we will set up times where we're going to, you know, just touch base with, with Skype or something so that we can see each other. Um, mm-hmm. We don't, we, but we have dinner together or breakfast together most days. So it's not like uh-huh. we don't have times where we're not together. That's just kind of standard family stuff. Um, mm-hmm. If there's an issue or something that's going on, we'll set aside time to talk through that. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, we don't have a – now we're going to have our our little family discussion around whatever's going on. And not that that's a bad mm-hmm. thing, actually. Um, the folks at the Multi-Amory podcast, I don't know them at all, but it's one that I listen to a lot, um, recommend mm-hmm. um, having something like that, especially in a poly relationship to – you know, uh, have a regular monthly time to set so mm-hmm. you can sit down and talk through stuff, good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that just doesn't, that's not how we work. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like it just really flows with you guys. There's just a lot of trust that you will speak up if something's bothering you and you're able to listen without defensiveness. So it sounds like you don't necessarily need to have a time set aside because you can trust that each other's going to bring it up as you go. That's true. And and I have to say, it's also true. Um, I have three other outside partners that I'm um, with, and that's true for those relationships as well for me. Um, although, like, a couple of them, we just have daily check-ins. It's constantly just, hey, just want to, you know, um, not true for everybody, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, I have a deep heart sharing process that I've been sharing with my clients. And I recommend people do it once a week if they are in a regular relationship where they're seeing each other more than once a week. Or if they're just seeing somebody monthly, just do it monthly. But it's kind of a protocol where you have a chance to give each other appreciations as well as kind of just share what's alive in you in the moment and then um, set any boundaries that you may have and then make requests, requests that may require some negotiation. So it's like a, a formal format to follow. Um, if anybody listening here would like to see that format, um, just send me an email to sumatisparks at gmail.com and I'll send it to you. It's been very useful to a lot of my clients. It's called Deep Heart Sharing or DHS for the acronym. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, we just have about five minutes left and I want to give you a chance to share with our listeners anything else you wanted to share about your show 
or anything else that you're offering, doing in your life, um, any other words of wisdom before we close? Um, yeah, so uh, I, um, so my show, Sexology the Musical, is um, uh, obviously touring now, and I um, am available to tour anywhere. Um, if you are interested in having um, me bring Sexology the Musical to your space, um, I've done it in houses just as a kind of living room show. It's, it's, it can get big or it can get small. And um, uh-huh. I can do workshops afterwards about consent, about boundaries, about anything like that. My partners and I do a variety of workshops um, around uh, – um, there's one that um, Charity and Cliff do together that is called Threesomes, Foursomes, and Moresomes, which uh-huh. is awesome. It talks about how best to approach a threesome, a foursome, or moresome because a lot of times there's a lot of emotional weirdness that goes on in those particular situations. and. Um, Charity is a psychotherapist, and um, Cliff uh, has been doing this kind of work, Tantra work, for 25-plus years. And so they work Mm -hmm. together to, you know, hold space for things like that and get people, you know, thinking about how best to do threesomes, foursomes, or moresomes. Um, Mm -hmm. They do a love language and a a pleasure map, love maps and pleasure maps workshop that is basically about, how, as couples, how do, how do you um, map each other's kind of love languages, and then how do you map each other's um, pleasure, like uh, what, what mm-hmm. pleasures you, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's heady, and it's also um, physical. Um, mm-hmm. So those things are also um, available, and, and I think really important. So I don't know. That's the, that, I guess, is what I would, I would plug um, and nice. I would love to see people come see my show. And uh, if you're ever in Portland, come do something with uh, Sex Positive Portland. We have a meetup group, and um, our place where we do our um, workshops is called the Treehouse. So mm-hmm. you can come hang out with us there and um, do some workshops and, and explore your sexuality or your um, uh, relationship structures in a really safe, comfortable place. Nice. Excellent. Well, it's been such a delight to have you on the show, Mel. I really congratulate you on, on your, your show and I hope that you continue to get more dates and, you know, I hope you have at least twice as many next summer. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, maybe we'll talk later about um, having you come to Oakland. There's obviously a big, polyamorous contingent here and I'm sure they'd love to see your show so we'll, we'll take that offline but stand by for Mel to possibly come to Oakland <laughs> that would be great I'd love it awesome okay Mel well thanks again for being on the show and we will see you later sounds great thank you so much for what you're doing I mean I really honor people who are doing things like this uh, talking honestly about their sexuality and helping other people look at theirs and supporting them through it. It's a rough, mm, rough thank journey, you. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Good night. Good night. <laughs>